Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Ahoy and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thank you for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It would be a lonely voyage without you. Joining me this week to discuss Series 1, Episode 7, is the journalist, author and broadcaster, Ali Catterall. Hello. Hello, Ali Catterall. Ahoy there, matey. <laughs> Climb aboard. Please hold on to the handrail. Whoops. Do you get, do you get seasick? Um, I do, actually, yes, because I do have, you? Um, you know, long car journeys and sort of boat journeys. Yeah, they do, unfortunately. Do you ever try those travel bands things? You know, the things that put pressure on your acupressure points? It's like new elastic bands and snap them on your wrist. My mum saw them in the shops when I was a kid and they're like essentially just like a, a plastic knobble on a stretchy, like a little sweatband that you put around your wrist and it pushes into your apparently acupuncture point and stops you being seasick. But she decided they were too expensive, so she made them with a piece of elastic and a button. <laughs> um, I think it's a psychosomatic thing, to be perfectly honest, but I did wear them and I didn't get seasick after that. It so. all sounds like alchemy and sorcery and magic. I know. Anyway, so... Welcome to the Howard's Way podcast. Hello. Tell me now, initially, what are your thoughts on Howard's Way? Had you seen it before? No, Ooh. I was I was a Howard's I was a Howard's Way virgin. He popped Ooh. my cherry. You're one of those. Um, yes, I was one of those. Sorry, listeners. Yeah, I, it's I, I guess it was one of those kind of programs in the eighties, like um, sort of Triangle and things like that. That you know, it was always on in the background, sort of thing. But you know, unless you were absolutely you know, staking your claim to it, were really sort of invested in those sort of things. They they just kind of passed you by, really. I well, mean, it, it does get lumped in with Triangle a lot, and I object to that because I think I don't think Triangle was very good. It's because Kate O'Mara was in both, but she hasn't arrived in Howard's Way yet, so yes. we can't really discuss her any further at this stage. I guess it was that kind of like sort of British, you know, low budget economy that was trying to compete with the dynasties and Dallas's and Knotts Landing. Yeah, and unfortunately, just ended up looking a bit cheap. <laughs> is that fair to say? I think. Well, it is. Howard's Way was not cheap. Howard's Way had a huge budget. Goodness me, really? Hundreds of thousands of pounds. Really? Mm. Is that just on Tom's hairstyle? 
hair, styling products were probably a fair. I mean, it's the 80s. Of course, they spent a yeah. lot on styling products. Anyway, we open this episode with Tom. So Tom Howard is talking to uh, to Davy, the mm-hmm. guy in the blue dungarees. The only um, Asian in... The only Asian in... 1980s in, television. In 1980s television, who's played by uh, Kulvinda Gear from Root Sue and Bob Tim and Goodness Gracious Me. That's right. Went yeah. on to great things, as many people in this thing did. Oh, I know, which, which I we shall know. discuss later. So they're, they're discussing the, uh, the boat called The Flying Fish. And, um, it's a very important boat, Ali. A very, right, yes, I, I gathered that. And Davy says, uh, she's a beautiful boat. And Tom says, um, a lot went into her. <laughs> so already we've started with a kind of sexual innuendo and double entendres, you know. It's, um, no, we haven't. See, this yes, is, we uh, have. See, this, okay, this, that's interesting, because I think now we know what you're bringing to this. This is going to be a very long episode. <laughs> that's all I'm bringing to it, um, Julia. But no, Tom, <laughs> Tom is the builder of said boat. He yes. made that boat. And he, you may detect he was angry in this scene. And we go on to find out why, because he has figured out one of his close associates uh, who told him there was a mystery buyer for his boat. He had to sell his boat for money. A mystery buyer bought the boat and she lied and said it was somebody else. And, and it turns f- out... Dun, big- dun, dun, yes. It's Avril. I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm obsessed with this guy, Tommy. He has the same voice as Stephen Fry bellowing, Marjorie! <laughs> and in fact, this entire... There is a lot of similarity. There is. Yeah. I mean, this entire series reminds me very much of a, of a Fry and Laurie sketch without the laughter track. Oh, that's unkind. No, no. It I, mean, does, I, ha- it does, I, I mean, that's a compliment, before, you know, frankly. Because I know there's a lot of business talk. And that might remind you. Marjorie! It, it is all... <laughs> Damn it, Marjorie. Yes. I mean, it's, it's yeah. the whole thing. Avril, I'd like a word with you sometime. <laughs> you know, he has exactly the same pitch, whatever he's hey, saying. don't talk like that. What's the time, Tom? It's a quarter past three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he goes inside to talk to Avril, storms inside, crossly, says to Avril that he needs to talk to her. And mm. then, and, and, and this happens a lot in Howard's Way, rather than saying... So let's have it out now, seeing as we're standing in the same room and that appears to be entirely possible. <laughs> they always arrange to have this discussion later. So they're going to meet at seven o'clock. Right. Which is a good way of getting them in her house together at the same time. That's right. That's good. Switz woo. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so carry on. No. Uh, so Jan and Polly. Now, this is interesting. Polly appears to be wearing a peach melba dessert. She's always wearing something quite far-fetched. Oh. <laughs> I do like her costumes, though. They are off for some sort of girly outing which the, the two of them often indulge in that together, usually end up drinking you know, gin and champagne and there's usually either dresses or paintings That's or right. art galleries involved. It's a bit, bit ab-fab, isn't it? It's a bit Edina and, and well, Adina and know, Patsy. Yeah, they're upper middle class. Mm. They Everyone drinks like a fish in this anyway, well, like this a flying is, this fish. Is the kind of, this is the sort of thing I was thinking about. I mean, they're talking about Abby, who, who took off leaving some sort of cryptic note. But Polly says... I don't intend to spend the evening worrying about it. Cheers! Like, basically any excuse for it. Everyone here yeah. in this whole show is essentially an alcoholic. It's a bit like watching a, a bunch of alcoholics, you know, sort of going through the paces of an Amdram, quite honestly. Yeah, in, in a way that you wouldn't get now. There was, there's something hugely aspirational about all the drinking in Howard's Way. Mm. So successful people drinking scotch because they've done a business deal, women just having champagne because it's seven o'clock and they fancy one. They've achieved a certain status in life and therefore they drink. But I have a bugbear again. And obviously, lots of the drinks in the 80s had no idea. But Polly makes Jan this kind of weird iceless martini <laughs> where she slugs in gin, then she slugs in vermouth and just into a tumbler and then goes, lemon? And then put, just puts a hunk of lemon in it. And in one of the later scenes, Jan's just there sucking on a piece of lemon, which just put me right off. I mean, it just distracted me, really. Well, I mean, 80s drinking generally was, was just wrong, wasn't it? I mean, Not you know, good. this is the decade that gave us taboo and mirage. You know? Zeke. 
Is it right? <laughs> all those kind of bizarre invented drinks yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that all rotted your stomach lining. Yeah, but um, also Polly mentions that Abby left a cryptic note, something about values in Tarrant. Yes. So Abby, you'll come to realise, is her daughter who objects strongly to her mother's bourgeois ways and... Uh, can't bear the pursuit of money and adultery and, and you know, possessions. But I also have a theory that we'll get to later, which I think she's on to her dad. Mm. I think it's something to do with that. Oh, oh well, yes, because yeah. there's a discussion about that later. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we leave the women warming up with several warm martinis for their night out. Um, we, uh, we see Jack and Bill. Yes, case in point, more alcoholism. The, the only character it's mentioned in as a problem is... Jack. Jack. So Jack is the guy who runs the boatyard. Mermaid, the mermaid boatyard. That's the one. And he's talking to Bill and he tells Bill that this new friend of his, Kate, who you'll find out later, is actually mm. Tom Howard's mother-in-law. Mm. Um, Kate has, uh, is a gambling woman. She likes a, a bet on the Gigi's. But she's decided to try and help him get off the booze and has said to him, uh, 50, you know, quid. 50 quid if you stay on the wagon for yeah. a month. So, he, yes, curiously, he drinks pretty much the, the same amount, as, as, I, as far as I can tell, as any other character. But he's the one who's got the drinking problem. <laughs> He's the, only, he's the only one who's, who admits to it. I mean, yeah. everyone else just is a, frankly, just a kind of functioning, functioning alcoholic. Mm. Yeah, yeah he, he's, so. he's just a real kind of roaring drunk, isn't he? Yeah. And then we quickly, it's a, there's a lot of uh, toing and froing between short scenes in this episode. Then we go back to Jan and Polly, who are probably now legless, I'm imagining, on these warm, <laughs> warm gins. And Polly cheekily asks her, how's your sex life? Yes. And then says she's not referring to Jan's husband, she's referring to Jan's boss, Ken Masters, oh. who's a very naughty man. Yes. And then tells her all she all she needs to do is have one affair, then she can have lots of them. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit mystified about this. This is the way sort of people talk throughout the show. People are incredibly frank with one another in the way that's just you don't do. Like people sort of say, Is your husband having it off with that woman yet? Is he fucking her? <laughs> They don't say that. They don't exactly they say do, that, but they, they pretty much say that. Yeah, they sometimes address things. I suppose just economy of time and stuff, sometimes they need to get to a point in the plot. Mm. To be honest, I remember this as being a fairly soapy, direct sort of show. There's lots of moments where there's subtext and characters aren't saying what's really going on in their heads. And I think in modern TV, that's almost... Well, it's not Ibsen. ...frowned yeah. upon now. No, of course it's not. We're talking about a really popular mm. 12 million people are an episode watching it sort of TV show, but... There's so much more in an episode of Howard's Way than you would expect, I think. But anyway, <laughs> Ali's looking sceptical and kind of doing one <laughs> How of did, his however did you guess? indulgent chuckles. So the two of we leave them discussing potential adultery. Jan is disgusted and horrified, but clearly does find Ken a bit saucy. But uh, but Polly has the morals of an alley cat and uh, <laughs> will shag anything that moves. We'll find out why later, though. She has we a will. tragic secret. Yes, we do. And so then... Basically, Avril uh, confesses finally that she's bought the flying fish. Yeah. And Tom's like, oh my God. He's really and angry. He's incre- well, it's really disturbing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually quite frightening. You think he's going to hit her? He's like, I'm sorry, Tom, I should have told you. Yes, you damn well should! <laughs> I thought I could trust one member of your family, Marjorie! And it's, it's just, it's really... Sorry, I, probably, I think I've just disturbed the cat. I'm sorry, sorry, <laughs> the ship's cat is now looking rather concerned. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, But it's, it's, it's quite a frightening moment. Yeah, yeah, when his rage is unleashed, it's, uh, you know... Yes, he, he unleashes... Toxic he, masculinity, he undoes they're calling his, it now. <laughs> he undoes his trousers, unleashes his... It's terrible. And then, he's, then he storms off, walks around the block and apologises... Halfway up the lane, because then he speaks in one in one pitch. Halfway yeah. up the lane, I realised I was behaving like a kid, <laughs> and I genuinely thought he was going to say cunt. 
because he was so angry. There was no such word invented in those days. No, it was only invented in, in 1991, I know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Just conveniently a year after this show ceased broadcast. <laughs> um, so that we kind of, again, we to and fro with the two of them. He comes back in his conciliatory and there are conciliatory strings. Uh, there, are, there are intimations, and There's stuff dangling in the air between them. Like, oh, uh, yes, you sense that then. Like, a, like fresh fruit. <laughs> OK. Like so, meanwhile, <laughs> talking about dangling fresh fruit, mm. um, Lynn has been uh, working. This is the young daughter of Tom Howard. Very beautiful. Tracy uh, Childs, the Broadchurch fan. Yeah, ex- yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. She has been working at the Yacht Club yes. and has been receiving an awful lot of unwanted attention from, from creepy, Phil. Creepy men. But, but Who is unbelievably Phil. Anthony Head. I know. I can't believe I'm Honestly, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. You see, that's Anthony Head. All the best stars of the 80s. Yes. He was, without doubt, the most famous man in the 80s for being the gold blend man. Extraordinary. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's playing an absolute rotter Sex in this. Sexist pig, yeah. Who's just, there's, there's literally nothing good about him at all. He only wants her for sex. And, yeah. she, and she wants to join his Fastnet team, some sailing team. That's right. She wants, um, to, she wants to race in a big, scary race. And uh, I, th- I, I guess he's been sort of stringing her along in the last minute says, no, I just want your body. Exactly. Yeah. But Leo, who is uh, Lynn's brother, who never says a strong word when a really insipid and quite weak one will do, goes as far as to call Phil Norton a self-satisfied Burke. Burke. Which you yes. know means, like, that's Leo's worst... Burke is actually um, slang. It's you see, Berkshire. so they can never say it outright, but they it's can Berkshire certainly Hunt. suggest. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that slang they had in EastEnders that they because they couldn't swear? They couldn't swear, so they had a whole. It was <laughs> things like uh, "I'll grab him by the whitakers," you know, all this, all this kind of stuff. You know. <laughs> they just made it up. Yeah, just rubbish. <laughs> oh, I like that though. Imagine if that was your job, making up new swearing words. <sighs> Perfect job. Be awesome, wouldn't it? Anyway, so yes, in the meantime, Tom has not only returned to Avalon and said sorry for being mm. a Berkshire Hunt, <laughs> he's also <laughs> suggested, because seeing as she now owns his boat and she's happy for anybody else to sail it, why don't we go for a sail right now? Tom does this a lot. Like, he once did it at midnight. <laughs> said his, his daughter was upset about something, so he said, shall we take the boat out right now? Mm. It's like, wow, this, oh, is that safe? Could, do you have, like, lights on a boat? I'm not sure. It suddenly got very kind of Simon Groom at that point. <laughs> you know, it was, it was like a sort of cutaway to a kind of, a, you know, a kind of blue Peter O.B. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about the time I stayed at Simon Groom's guest house? You did, but tell 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 us again. Oh, it's it's so awesome. So Simon Groom, the Blue Peter presenter, who was it was always a bit of a favourite of mine. Him and Janet Ellis and Peter Duncan were they were my gang. So he lives in Derbyshire. Mm on this farm and it's the farm he inherited from his father and if you're a real Blue Peter fan as I am you sense a theme with the 80s TV programmes being my life Um, (laughs) yeah if you're a real Blue Peter fan you will have seen him go to his dad's farm on one particular episode with Janet Ellis at the farm in Dethick and they go I think it's snowing up there and they try to bring the sheep in Anyway, he still lives on that farm and now his excellent wife, Jilly, runs it as a B&B and you can go and stay at the farm in Dethic and it's one of the most beautiful places. I highly recommend it. This wasn't the one that had knockers on the door, which gave well, rise he to did, the... Well, he um... did used to make ambiguous remarks sometimes to kind of amuse himself and his colleagues mm. and he did once stand between two knockers. I think it was the, the ones at Durham Cathedral or something. They had them in the studio and he said, <laughs> you have to agree, this really is a, fi- a lovely pair of knockers. <laughs> 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 the playfulness is delightful. Anyway, you can go and stay on his farm and it's one of the most lovely places I've ever will, stayed. Will Janet Ellis be there? Do you know what? She has stayed there and she will, if you ask her, tell her which room she stayed in, if that's if that's your thing. <laughs> Ali, I sense a little wistful peak of lust there. <laughs> for, well, you, you'll find this for men of a certain vintage. Oh, I know. Um, it's, it's always Janet Ellis and Claire Grogan. Yeah, oh gosh, I know, absolutely. It's, it's between the, t- the twin pillars of Grogan and, uh, and Ellis. Yeah. We, we are undone, like Samson. <laughs> You've gone quite pink. Yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, Tom and Avril have gone sailing, because that's what they do. Mm. It's a, I think it's also a way of 
them having sort of a passionate time together without them actually doing anything. It doesn't look very of... passionate, though, does it? I well, mean, there's, there's I mean, kind of waves very... lapping around the side. It looks very cold. <laughs> Sorry, as you say, it's very grey. Um, one of them's looking whisk. a little bit a trifle seasick. <laughs> it's Tom, actually. <laughs> I think they're having a marvellous time. <laughs> Didn't you just want to join them on the salty waves? <laughs> or maybe just the one on. Back at the yacht club, Lynn is girding her loins for a showdown with a horrible Phil. Basically, he took her sailing under the pretext of saying, yeah, I'll try you out for the fastnet. And then she was lying there in her bikini, sunbathing on the deck, and they'd moored offshore, a mile offshore. And he made a move and she was having none of it. And he was so vile, she just jumped over the side and swam back to shore. <laughs> so this, this is the first time she's seen him since then. Very smart move. Yeah, well, I think so. But she, yeah. even, she even apologised because she thinks she has to, but she really mustn't. Anyway, we'll get there in a minute. Polly and Jan, meanwhile, have arrived at their the location Art for their gallery. Evening. Yes, they're at a happening. This is very um, abfab now, I think. It's completely abfab. Um, I like how when Polly arrives at the door and there's a waiter holding a tray of drinks, she says, ah, oh, drinkies, and it's kind of Paris goblets of sort of <laughs> Ribena. It doesn't look like wine, it looks like Ribena, but anyway. This whole, this whole scene, we have to confess, is merely an excuse uh, to bring on the first appearance oh. of, of a character who, who I imagine will, will have some uh, legs in this. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a Wikipedia, which I have no way copied all this from. <laughs> the, the, the suave, scheming millionaire businessman Charles Freer. Have he's I pronounced he's that gorgeous and a bastard. He is a gorgeous bastard. <laughs> there's something quite Dalton-esque about him as oh, well. Oh, God, yeah, no, he is. He's quite Bond. I could really mm. have seen... I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he was in, in the running at some point yeah. for Bond because he's just beautiful and charismatic. So the art happening, he happens to be as well. We haven't met him yet. It's a star entrance, so he's a big character in the show, but we, this is the first time we meet him. He so does... you're lucky to get this episode because this is his big Oh, oh I know. I'm, I'm yeah. terribly lucky. I mean, he, he basically stares at everyone. That's his sort of MO. He just stares at people. He does, yeah. Um, and Polly, who appreciates the staring, essentially just ruffles their petticoats at him. Oh, hello. They've obviously got history. Anyway, before we see their furtive glances at one another, we have to endure the unpleasant misogynistic bullshit of Phil Norton. Uh, he says to Lynn in the yacht club plenty more fish in the sea most of them swimming in my direction which is the, the most brilliantly awful line like well oh, what a slug awful isn't it and then she you didn't, uh, you didn't say that to Sharon Morn no, no. door closed in his face no he was much nicer to her yeah. lent, lent her sugar and everything mm. how do you lend someone sugar <laughs> you count the grains out anyway when Lynn finally cottons on that Phil was literally never going to let her sail on his boat she gets quite irate and quite upset um, and this it's great because it kind of sends her off on quite a feminist trajectory from here on in but Phil says to her the birds are for the fun trips only like, what a <laughs> wang what a wanker so I don't yeah he he doesn't get to feature in this series much more but when he does again it's so amazingly satisfying that um, it's, it's something to look forward to mm. I imagine you will be watching that um so, yes, back to Tom and Avril, who are <laughs> sitting on on the deck of the boat, trying to cling on for dear life as the winds threaten to blow them off deck, um, looking like they're having a lovely, lovely time. Mm. And then we're back to Polly and Jan at the art gallery. Yeah, so they discuss. Did, did you get what was going on in Jan's life at the moment, her business interests? I did indeed, and uh, her interests in uh, Ken Masters. Ah, yeah. but she's still playing this down massively. She's still trying to make it sound like it's all mm. business, business, business. She talks about her ambitions to open a boutique. Yeah. She talks about it in terms of just, you know, wanting to be dressing the this kind is, of customers that are at this art gallery. This is very good. I mean, this series, um, in common with, uh, uh, you know, a lot of sort of 80s soaps, really did kind of throughout the issues of the day. It's basically talking about women, frankly, being sort of mildly emancipated in well, the new decade. She's broken you know? away from the sink. This exactly. Jan's finally found yeah. something she's interested in beyond 
crumbling the crisps onto a pasta mm, bake. Mm. She's she's genuinely for the first time spreading her wings. But yes. she's kind of judged for it. Like I mean, her husband's not happy about it at all. No, he wouldn't. But then you know he can't bloody talk, can he? As we'll see shortly. So yeah, she talks about her ambitions in business. Polly obviously talks about it entirely in terms of money. Mm. And then she spies a dark and gorgeous figure over by one of the paintings, and she goes off to have a look at. And Jan says, "Oh, are you thinking of buying it?" And she replies, "No, my hair will look wonderful against it." <laughs> her hair is a constant source of amusement. <laughs> for viewers of this show because it's just it's huge and unruly and kind of like a squirrel has hopped atop her head and just sat there the to attention. She's wearing that sort of peach melba dress and the <laughs> hair being the colour it is. It just looks like a stick of gingerbread poking yeah. out of a pudding, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, she, yeah, she looks absolutely the most 80s she could possibly mm. look and she does love a ruffle and a, a billowy sleeve and all that kind of nonsense. I like the fact there's a painting in that art gallery called Constellation 4. Was there really? Gosh, yeah. you actually saw that. That's, yeah. that's attention to detail. I like that. Anyway, so we are now at the star entrance of Charles Freire, millionaire, philanderer, Hello. scoundrel and Ladies. business bastard. Oh, I see. <laughs> and um, he's talking to an older woman who I don't know, I'm going to assume might be his mother, but I don't, I'm not sure if it I is. I think she's just a random art gallery yes, attendee. Yes, I think you're probably right. Well, she, she's the one who says, what's this painting called? And he says, it's called Constellation 4. That's it. That's how I know this. And then she says to him, in that way that rich people do... Why do people paint such huge pictures? <laughs> it's like, yes, they should make them smaller for my heist. Um, and, and he drops into conversation with her. Mm. So this is where I think exposition in Howard's way, having seen so much drama lately, like Downton Abbey, there's a lot of blunt instrument exposition in modern drama, which I find insulting to my intelligence. And even though you might see this as not a particularly layered, dense or, you know, highly artistic piece of work, when exposition is done in this, it's done right. He mentions in passing that the galleries in New York were different. So you know where he's been yes. and you know where he's going. I'll agree from. with that. There's a kind of shorthand here of, of, of narrative, which, I just think which I quite liked. Yeah, it's elegantly done. So then we, we have the meeting between Charles and Polly. Now, what did you sense from their interaction? Uh, uh, ah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the sex klaxon. <laughs> well, you know, as I said, I mean, we, we, we learn very shortly why Polly is the way she is. Yeah. I, I think it's quite transgressive, actually, in a soap of this kind. Yeah. Um, the reason for this. Should we discuss why this well, is? Well, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll um, discuss it now. Well, well, essentially, we find out that Polly's living in a lavender marriage. Her and Gerald's marriage is a total sham to basically cover up the fact he's gay. Yeah. Uh, and also that Abby isn't actually his daughter. Aha, uh -huh, because how could she be? I right. don't think the two of them have ever... So this is my theory as to perhaps one of the reasons why Abby's absconded, because oh. she may have caught on to something. I mean, I don't know. We shall, we How shall could see. I possibly know? Well, I've only can... ever seen this episode. Well, I know, but, but it's you know, good that you're extrapolating all of this. It might just be. From what and I seen. think, and you start to understand that, you know, a little bit more about Polly and, the, and, and why she is basically like that because of this. You yes. Know? And as I say, particularly in the 80s when there's a real pressure to conform to these kind of heteronormative kind of roles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And she, the, putting up that front mm. is something that I'm, I'm sure, I mean, God in Hollywood, God knows they're still doing it now. But yes. it's so... Well, it's Beard City, isn't it? Well, completely. Yeah. But it's a lot less the norm now to, to think you have to hide your relationship or your yeah. true nature. So, yeah, so I, so I quite warmed Polly, actually. Yes, it gives her a sympathetic element that she's not had yet. She's just been yeah. this all-out sort of money-hungry sex hungry, mm. uh, materialistic Thatcher avatar. And now she's actually yes. getting a little bit of flesh and blood, which is rather nice. Mm. We briefly see Avril and Tom sailing back into the marina after their... <laughs> the terrible date. Yeah, they're all, but they should be panting. Sorry, Urzat's really. date, not There's, real date. Yeah, they have kind of moments where... Not date like, at all. No, no, no. <laughs> Wasn't just, a date. No. just business associates. Exactly. Out for a perfectly yeah. normal mid-afternoon sale, <laughs> early evening sale. There's never any real sense of time in Howard's way. Like, you can guess what time of day it is, but you can't really tell. Because everything's so, like, grey, all 
all no, the time. I know. And actually, even when it's sunny, it's it's still like if, if Lynn's sitting in the kitchen saying, I've got to go to the yacht club a minute to start my shift, which you imagine would be like seven o'clock. Mm. It's still brightly sunshine outside. So it's really hard to gauge the time of day. Well, it's, it's either that or the sky is perennially the colour of phlegm. I, I just don't think it ever gets dark in Tarrant. I think there's somewhere think... near some kind of dateline or something. There, 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 there is one sort of scene where um, when she comes in and you can see there's a difference between the VT and film and the, mm. and the outside film is that it's kind of very, very bright yes. on the VT, whereas outside it's been incredibly dark. This, this is boring technical stuff. But no, 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 but, but you it's, do it's, notice it's kind of it stuff. Yeah, it's very noticeable. We've discussed this before on the podcast, but the interiors were all filmed at Pebble Mill in Birmingham and the locations were all shot on the south coast. So right. there is a, you know... Just there's, a, a, there's a massive a continuity problem in, in, in lighting. We then see, after Charles and Polly had had a little flirt and you obviously get the impression there's history mm. there. Clearly at some point they had a bit of fun, mm. but um, he later goes on to explain that that's just the wife of a business associate. I was just saying hello. <laughs> But you know they've obviously they've been having they've been having hoi. <laughs> anyway, so he then rather inexplicably arranges for that painting they were looking at to be sent to her, which is a very generous gesture. The painting is sent to her, and he sends some really weird message with it, like, um, "Oh, I wouldn't hang on to this for too long. The, the, it's going to bottom out soon enough, or something." It's all, it's all a bit strange. Obviously, in Howard's way, art isn't art; it's an investment. Yes. And it, he also mentions earlier a painting that he and Avril bought together when they were a couple. She still has it on her wall. That's a very and, and she kind said, of attitude, isn't "Yeah," it? and she said, yeah. oh, "I didn't hang on to it for sentimentality," and he. Marks that, of course, you always had a good head for an investment or something. It's like art is simply something to go up and down like a stock or a, a share. Or like Charles's trousers. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Anyway, so then, now, now what happens after this? So he, Charles sends the painting to her. There's a brief scene with Avril visiting Jack, but I don't know if much happens there. And then we see Polly and Jan back at Polly's house and Polly has cooked Jan salmon. Mm, lovely salmon, Polly. <laughs> I love those, those little tinned? details. Yeah. yeah. Now, that was such an aspirational thing to eat. Like, she's cooked her. Mm. Probably, I'm guessing, salmon and Some new potatoes. Fish. That's what you do. No, yeah. salmon, it's a luxury fish. And they're drinking champagne. There wasn't Prosecco in the 80s. That's probably champagne. It's not Carver or... Back then, that would have been a champagne. Gosh. I know. So it's really, it's all very aspirational. Mm. Again, alcohol, aspirational. Mm. And Polly is 
quite surprisingly forthcoming and she talks to she must have known Jan for quite a long time so it's a bit surprising she's suddenly telling suddenly her mentions this now. This, yeah. but she kind of spills her guts really mm. says that Gerald needed a not wife literally. for business purposes no no not literally that she ha- well she's probably had enough champagne and gin to do that <laughs> maybe the salmon will push her over the edge <laughs> <laughs> but she says Gerald needed a wife for business purposes she sort of wanted a rich husband mm. and she was happy to go off and have affairs while he went off to have his affairs which she said Ger- Gerald's with been really women. putting it about you get the impression well I mean we, later on we find out that's not strictly true oh. he gets a whole pl- a very 80s plot line oh, which I, I don't want to go into too deeply oh, okay. now but no there's more to come on that too mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. so come shock on. horror Polly's husband is gay that's why, and morally, we've been judging her a lot for all of her yeah, approaches yeah. to men. She flirts with them constantly. She's always having assignations at their flat in Chelsea. She's brilliant. I love Polly. Yeah, Can I just put that out there? She's amazing. Know, now it turns out well, that she's living the life she wants to because she kind of has a reason to. So now we go back to a scene with Avril and Jack and she is berating him for how badly he treated her mum, who's now dead. She's been dead since before the series started. That's, it's very badly treating of someone, isn't it? If well, she's now dead. Well, he didn't. He didn't personally kill her. Oh, okay. But when they were married, um, he wasn't much of a husband. He right. philandered a lot, and he didn't really love her. He only married her for the boatyard. The boatyard belonged to her father. He married the boatyard, not the woman. Very sadly, <laughs> uh, and he's cross with her for not mentioning. Everyone is cross with Avril for secretly buying it and not saying it was mm-hmm. her that was buying it. But I'm not really sure why. Like, I don't know why they'd be that cross apart from she didn't tell the truth. Because women shouldn't buy boats? What? <laughs> is that it? Women, Just, know your limits. Yes. Don't sail. I mean, this is, this is a point of fact, this is International Women's Day, so perhaps this should be a, <laughs> a thing. Maybe women should now be allowed to buy boats. I don't think that's safe, is it? I mean, they'll, they, they can't swim. They, <laughs> they attract enemy radar. <laughs> Went off on a Chris Morris tangent there, sorry. And I really like the end of the scene. See, again, another detail. You notice in how it's where you just don't get with other so-called soaps. They're having this, this sort of rather grim discussion, and then there's like a rumble of thunder on Ooh. the soundtrack, which is just like a nice detail, like dark foreboding very coming done, in. Yes. Simon May's music does it a lot as well, but sometimes sometimes the sound department mm. get in there and have a go as well. I, mm. I rather like that. It's sort of coming to the end of the evening now. Jan is arriving home from her jolly evening at the art gallery drinking Ribena and uh, Leo the poor guy playing Leo Edward Highmore he just has to constantly be this drip this dreary ecologically sound drip I mean this 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 is symbolised first of all by his terrible taste in shirts well I mean again not the actor's fault he's just a drip isn't he he's a total drip but he's also a very ecologically conscious drip and Jan comes into the kitchen and says oh I didn't expect you still to be up and he says uh, yeah I was watching a documentary on nuclear waste <laughs> <laughs> which is so Leo I just, I just put on my notes oh Leo <laughs> oh. because that's basically his main focus in life he's like he just, no one else cares about the planet someone's got to anyway uh, Jan and Leo briefly discussed the fact that Abby has absconded she's disappeared no one knows where she's gone and then we return to Jack who is now eyeing up his whiskey there's bottle. a bit of a comedy routine about chronic alcoholism here yes it's very funny isn't it's it? a very funny scene about <laughs> chronic alcoholism <laughs> Um, basically, Jack uh, is fingering the neck of the bottle. Yeah, and then and then who should call it? Kate. She, Kate calls him I know, up. It's like she's psychic. It's like she knows. And um, you know, Jack, as, as mentioned before, was pleased to stay off the sauce for a month for, for a fifty quid bet. Yeah. So, quite why Kate is then trying to dissuade him. Doesn't she want the 50 quid? Well, no, really what she wants is for her friend to stop drinking because she's trying to save him. 
No, well, you should just get the 50 quid. I mean, you, know, she's, you know, pensions aren't forever. I don't get I mean, the impression she's short of a bubble too, Kate. I mean, she does like to bet it all on the horses. That's her, that's her poison. Quid, but Jack. anyway, Jack is on the phone to Kate. He calls her a bossy, bloody female, <laughs> which he is often wont to do. And then every time he looks like... So she says, put the bottle in the cupboard. Mm. And then he's like, oh, OK. And then sneaks it onto the table. Like, that's some kind of act of transgression. Then comes back to the phone and she's like, I said in the cupboard. And then we see Jan sneaking back into bed at home after her night out with Tom's Tolly. got his shirt off. Tom is still awake and looking as he does like a Greek god with no top on floor and then they have this sort of exchange of jealousy she says uh jan says to tom a girl buys your boat it's quite obvious what she's after and it's like (laughs) you're you're doing it again you're just basically saying are you going to fuck her or what i must this this is how people talk i must say it's a flirtation technique like yeah that's how i got together my husband i bought his boat (laughs) and then he was like i know what you're after yeah but what is interesting to me is that immediately after she says you know there's all this talk about that sort of stuff cut to shots of envelopes pouring through the letterbox i know i'm sorry another less than subtle innuendo i feel (laughs) yeah see you're seeing things in this that i didn't see so that's interesting but yes people had a lot of posts in those days you forget because there wasn't email so you'd be spammed through your, directly through your letterbox. Oh, yes. Thrusting posts, thrusting through the slot. <laughs> I mean, it's just... I'm, no know. trains in tunnels yet, but that must be oh, coming yeah. soon. So Tom furiously rips open uh, one mysterious-looking envelope and he opens up this single piece of paper and on it is written... Do you know your wife is sleeping with Ken Masters? <laughs> it's written in an evil hand. And just before Leo comes down the stairs, he crumples it and pretends it's just a circular, as he calls it. Oh, just a circular. <laughs> Which is spam for those people who didn't live through the age of having circulars constantly <laughs> shoved through your letterbox. So someone sending a, a poison pen letter. That doesn't happen anymore. Now it's all done online. There's no, there's no romance in it anymore. <laughs> so before we leave Tom and Leo, uh, they have a brief discussion where... Tom tells Leo that his boat design, he's basically the way he's going to save the ailing boatyard is he's going to design the most incredible boat that's ever been produced. Wow. And today is the day they're going to test it in the very sciencey looking lab with men in white coats and strange tanks of water and prototypes and little models and people with clipboards. So he just sets the scene and says that's his big focus today, his boat if it passes the test, then they're on to the next stage of making the prototype and that's sort of something he's very focused on. Then we see Lynn and she's really cheesed off that Avril now owns her beloved boat so it wasn't really Lynn's boat but Lynn loves that boat more mm. than she likes any person and I feel that des- way about my projector. Do you? Yeah. Do you, can, do you give it a cinema. name or um, Betsy? <laughs> yes it is Betsy. <laughs> It's not, is it? It is. It's going to be now. You're so weird. Anyway, Lynn is really pissed off that her beloved boat is now in the hands of the woman she suspects of having designs on her father. Mm. So um, that complicates things for her because she'd sail that boat, you know, whoever owned it, but not Avril. Anyway, uh, on top of the malicious poison pen letter, Jan then gets a phone call at the office, which you only hear Jan's side of, but you assume it's someone saying... I know you've been staple with Ken Masters. We yeah. find out who, who it was later. But again, it's a very 80s thing. Poison pen letters, anonymous phone calls. Mm-hmm. Somebody isn't happy with the Jan and Tom situation and the possible involvement of Ken. Then you get the scene where Charles is in his Rolls Royce and he always gets this theme tune, this dreamy driving theme <laughs> tune, which is sort of like quite big piano chords and then a sort of dreamy romantic synth. It's like, look at this guy, isn't he gorgeous? They should give him Cuddly Toy by Roachford. Then we cut back to Ken and Jan, who are in their office, and I've just written down, they are opal fruits. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> he is dressed he is, in a lemon sweater. He is. He and is, she is yes. dressed in raspberry. And then he offsets it by calling a woman a bitch. Well, because Jan reveals then that uh, the, her malicious phone call was from Dawn. Right. Now, Dawn, you haven't met. Dawn was Ken's girlfriend, a dolly bird, very oh. badly treated by him, and always with an inferiority complex. She was always insecure and she always thought that Ken fancied Jan. And she was right, basically. <laughs> Ken had enough of her, offloaded her, and now she's sending poison pen letters and calling Jan because she's been driven mad with jealousy that Ken has dumped her. So there's not, uh-huh. you don't get kept in suspense for very long. It's Dawn. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then they talk about Tom and Avril again. Yeah. As, well, again, like everyone just breezily talks about the prospect of them doing it and doing it. I know, it's In quite, front of Jan. It is quite strange considering how this episode ends. So Ken's basically shit-stirring. Mm. He obviously tries to pretend that he has no real interest in Jan apart from in business, but he does. And she knows it, actually, and she's she's starting to find it a little bit disingenuous that he denies it. But he does really stir the pot. He's the one who told Jan that Avril was actually the real buyer of her husband's boat, Ooh. which obviously really put Jan's nose out of joint because she'd already sort of taken against her as yes. well. So he's, he's trying to rock the boat. Oh, I'm sorry, this happens a lot on this podcast. <laughs> he is the one who's trying to upset he's the a, apple cart. That's he's a wheezy little social climber who's trying to uh, ingratiate himself by by basically spreading gossip and slander. He is. And there's an amazing scene later, we'll come to it in a minute, where they discuss the chip on his shoulder. It's really good. They kind of This is great. Yeah, I, re- I enjoyed that. Before that, we've got Leo and Davy talking. That's right. Uh, and Davy says that some woman, I, I didn't catch her name, didn't recognise her because we all look the same, don't we? And I thought that oh, was that's extraordinary. Right. And I thought that was another very interesting sort of transgressive moment. Mm, I, mean, I know. I mean, that is pretty mildly confrontational stuff. It is, In yeah. a soap. They do. I mean, in, 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 in a soap of this kind. No, and, it's true. And this, we were saying this is the same year that EastEnders started. There were gradually, I don't know if there were was straight it, was away. It, was Howard's Way 85 or 86? It was 85, yeah. Oh, interesting. But Davy does get all the racism storylines. Yeah. Like he literally, ev- almost everything he says. Yeah. He says that he's seen Abby going into his dad's doctor's surgery and he thinks he can find out where she's staying. Yeah. In a very unethical way. Again, he doesn't tell Leo there and then where Abby is. He just says, I think I know where your friend is. Mm. And then rather than say, and it's in Southampton, he says, shall we have a drink later? It's like, just tell him! Why do you keep arranging to have these conversations later? Then we see Kate in her happy place. She's on the race course. And just a little bit of background for her, really. She's talking about the fact she's going out for dinner with Jack, who they are just friends. It's all platonic. She's not interested. This conversation with her friend, she establishes that she doesn't fancy Jack. She's just trying to help him. She mentions as well, she misses her late husband like Billio. (laughs) Because uh, Kate, who's played by the wonderful Dulcie Grey, who's the most extraordinary 1940s British cinema and theatre actress, who is always given... I, I like to think she ad-libbed them. Her script is peppered with this stuff. Glad rags. She's going to put her glad rags on. <laughs> I love every time she's on screen. She drives a Morris Traveller. She's basically my perfect TV character. <laughs> then we see very briefly Jack and Avril having a terse exchange up a ladder. Then we get to my favourite scene of the episode. When they try and do science on TV, it's always really funny. And this is no different. It's the scene where they test Tom's boat design to see if it, I don't know, floats or goes <laughs> to the water. And so like everyone's in white coats. There are clipboards. Inexplicable dials, things that, you know, look like they should be sciencey, but you really can't tell because, you know, hey, we're just lay people. And then there's this kind of moving platform. They've obviously gone to an actual boat testing centre somewhere in, I'm guessing, Southampton or whatever. And this model of the boat is like coursing through the water and they're writing things down. That is a crucial scene because it decides whether or not Tom can save the boatyard with his innovative new design for a, what do they call it? A lightweight displacement vessel. And it's, it's not, not like going to be... displacement activity. Yes, exactly. Does yeah. that mean you just get on the boat because you're trying not when to get on When you've got a deadline. Boat? Yeah, no, that's right. Then we go back to Davy and Leo 
And he basically, a, sh- a short scene later, goes into his dad's doctor's surgery, comes out again and gives Leo this girl's address. I mean, how did he do that? Data Seen, protection. The, there's a strange bunch of scenes here, which, which are basically cutting to and from people just coming out of doors. Yes, that happens it's, a lot it's, in Howard's it's, way. It's quite, They've got to keep the momentum up, you know. It, well, it's, I, it's just like, here's a shot of someone coming out of a door, cut to someone coming out of another door, <laughs> cut to someone coming out... It's not that bad. But they have a lot of plot to get through in this episode because they're trying to introduce a new character and keep driving forward everybody else's plot line. So I think, you know, this thing is moving at quite a lick. So, finally, the moment I've been waiting for this whole episode, Avril comes into the yacht club. The, the pink upholstery in the yacht club turns my stomach. It's just so unpleasant. <laughs> so 80s and pastel and kind of like... Through the forest of pink upholstery, she spies the man who broke her heart, Charles Freer, who kind of turns around and smirks at her. And Avril goes to pieces. She's and kind of just sort of withers on the spot. She crumples like an old concertina. Charles Freer is kind of a living exemplar of the phrase, look sideways to camera, isn't he? There's these kind of cutaway shots of him just looking and staring at people. Yes, he doesn't. We doesn't have to say a lot because he's Mm. enigmatic. Mm. So the point is he can do a lot of this with his eyes. Um, They're very nice eyes. So, Mm. you know, no complaints. He's delicious, isn't he? He is delicious. Delicious, And clearly, one of the cast members thought so. She uh, she married him. So Avril and Charles have this very tense moment. Avril uh, absconds quickly. And then we cut to the boutique where Jan is putting all of her ambitions and hopes for the future. Tom is now wholly focused on the boatyard. Jan is obsessed with her new boutique. And uh, her daughter comes to visit her there at work. And they have a conversation about Ken Masters. Yes, Lemony Ken. He's Lemony still wearing his lemon Lemony jumper. Ken. About yeah. the social climbing Ken Masters. Yeah. And uh, and Lynn, there's a very interesting conversation here, which is, again, very um, emblematic of Thatcherism, in which Lynn says, surely in this day and age, you know, class doesn't matter a damn. Mm-hmm. And that kind of partial lie fuelled by Thatcherism and a few red braces traders in the city. Yeah. Obviously, it is a partial lie. Of course, class matters tremendously during the 80s. But I like, yeah. But I I like the fact that, you know, this was kind of raised. Yes. And this conversation happened. That's, again, I think that's quite sophisticated. I think so, too. They do try to discuss the times they're living in Mm. as well as provide some drama. Now, Julia and I have a kind of folk memory of an old show called Gems. Oh, yes. Um, which starred a young Tony Slattery. It did, um, didn't it? it did. Oh, my God, I forgot he was in Gems. Yeah. And this was, I suppose, around about sort of, sort of 84, 85, I guess. Uh, and it was set in a Covent Garden fashion house. That's right. Or a kind of fashion warehouse. I found a tiny bit of it on YouTube, like the opening titles. Right. And it was only, it was, it was kind of like a sort of B-movie in a sense that there was kind of a one set, you know, it was a single set sort mm. of soap. And it was it was essentially just this this fashion warehouse. That's right, yeah. But again, it was it, it was Thatcher's and a Membryo. So yeah, I, I do applaud Howard's way for addressing these issues. Absolutely. So Jan's plotline is effectively going to become like a, a mini episode of Gems in every episode because mm. she is building a fashion empire, which obviously is very nice in terms of, you know, there are lots of scenes of her going to fashion shows, and and trying on dresses and her customers trying on dresses. Uh, there's always a bit in Sex and the City where usually Sarah Jessica Parker's character will just start trying stuff on because, you know, it's nice to <laughs> yeah. look at beautiful people in nice clothes. And they do sort of get their cake and eat it a bit here by having the fashion plotline. But I did enjoy the door of the boutique, Ken standing in front of it, talking to Jan, saying he's going to go off and leave you ladies to it. And um, he's standing in front of the glass door of the boutique. So backwards, you can see the name is Perry Plus, <laughs> which just sounds like a supplement for women of a certain age. I mean, like, um, hey, are you perimenopausal and plus size? <laughs> yeah, it does, it's not what you'd call a boutique now. 
no. I'm pretty sure. But back then, clearly, I don't know what the thinking is behind it, but they decided that was a sophisticated name for an art market boutique <laughs> in, uh, on the South Coast. <laughs> anyway, per- Perry Plus is, is not open yet, but she's stocking it up with all these very expensive 80s dresses. Now we go back to the boatyard and it's bad news for Jack. The Germans have phoned and they have said nine Danker to his repair yes. project. The, the work he was relying on to keep the boatyard going has just been taken away it's from him. It's a bit Brexity. It, yeah. Completely, you know. Now, mm. Well, at least he's got his country back, hey? <laughs> hey? So uh, then there's yeah, there's a brief scene where Lynn, I think Lynn's talking to Jan, and she says she won't sail the flying fish. Uh, meanwhile, Leo meets Avril, who's obviously very distracted because she's just bumped into the man who ruined her heart. Mm. And they're at the boatyard and Leo sort of runs into her and sort of says, oh, hello. And Leo is, in- <laughs> Le- hello. Le- Leo is insipidly attracted to Avril. Yeah, well. And is finding it all very eggy that he can see his dad's kind of getting on very well with her. Leo is like rather pathetically offered to paint her house for her. Like a Trojan, she says later. He's working like a Trojan. He's working like probably wearing a little Trojan. Well, from inside cloth. a wooden horse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Makes it much harder to paint. A little arm stretching out <laughs> from, 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 from the trap door. Just... Oh, bless. Yeah. So the scenes between them are always a bit eggy because he's kind of got residual lusty feelings for her and uh, clearly, you know, we'd like to try to have sex with a piece of lettuce. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> could, could you? Would you? Well, could I? Have I had sex with lettuce? <laughs> no, no, I Ju- don't. Julia's just asked me if I've had sex with lettuce. I, I, well, I, well, I mean, you know. That's all for this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's an old, then, yes. Uh, uh, on from the lettuce sex. And then we yes, see... Yes, the answer's yes. <laughs> I knew it. We then see that Jack is head in hands in the office at the boatyard uh, knowing that the contract he was relying on is now toast, but he doesn't come clean and tell his daughter about it, which again is just like, oh, come on. Can everyone just stop hiding things? Mm. That way always lies disaster. But before we see that revelation, Kate arrives to see Lynn at the Howard House and she shows her a newspaper article about an, a female skipper. It's Joe Penhaligan. Joe Penhaligan. It's Joe Penhaligan. Yeah. And she's recruiting an all-female crew for the Fastnet. Mm. What could be more perfect? Now, can you see where this is heading? Lynn has a lavender affair with Joe Penhaligan? Well, no, but... Well, I, mean, I can't reveal that, yes or no, but no, no, she doesn't. Oh, OK. She's going to be on an, an all-girl team in the Fastnet. Yes, Old fella, my lad, gold blend bastard is going to be in his boy's boat. What do you think is oh. going to happen? Well, I'm just going to leave that hanging. I, d- or God. floating. Anyway, <laughs> then we have some more Charles and his Rolls Royce dreamy driving oh, music. At some point. Isn't he lovely? Then Leo uh, knocks on a door uh, at some kind of hostelry in Southampton and a woman tells him to naff off and, he, and Abby isn't there. So the address he got from Davey. I found that a very scary moment, actually. It's a bit like just a horror movie. It's like sort of opened by a yes. in, in a horror movie. It's, yeah, it's, it's like that. She'd she'd be witchy, kind of Satan worshipping. Uh, like nurse. like in the old dark house, have a potato. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's told um, no, there's nobody here by that name now, or she's been here but she's gone, and we keep ourselves to ourselves. We don't mm-hmm. know where she's gone. Anyway, and later then, um, uh, one of the young residents there runs out and says, "Oh, are you looking for that weird girl?" I know. How do they describe her? Quiet, straight air, bit weird. That's her. <laughs> anyway. Also most teenagers during the 80s. Well, exactly. So she helps him find Abby by, I think, saying where where Abby's working. Mm. That's uh, another clue for him. He's going to find her in the next episode. Meanwhile, Charles, like a shark, moving through the water with his hair-like fin. Yes, if you had to... If any creature, you'd have to... He would be a shark. He's a shark, a dead-eyed shark. Yeah. Moving through the waters of Tarrant. Mm. And now we find out exactly why he's in Tarrant. Yeah, he arrives at... 
thatched cottage, mm. which is uh, Avril's house that does not have a thatched roof. So he arrives there, effectively just to harass her, really. And it's she... disgusting what happens. Let's, let's, let's face yeah, it. It's yeah. frankly, as you say, it's harassment. Her heart is still in pieces on the floor. She mm. hasn't gotten over him, but she knows he's a wrong one and she doesn't want anything more to do with him. But she does let him in. He tries some dreadful line about, oh, well, boo-hoo, I'm now separated from my wife. Yeah. So even though I broke your heart into a million pieces, <laughs> we can perhaps get together he again. He doesn't really say it like that, though, does he? He, he kind of loosely re- like reclines on the arm of her sofa. I'm doing him a favour, really, by making him sound pathetic. Well, yeah, fact, yeah, he's, he's not that He's even nice. more pathetic than that. There is not, there's no apology. He just tells her what's happened. And his, his approach is two-pronged. He's sort of like, I want you to work for me and I want to do it with you again. He's expressing interest in purchasing the mermaid yard and sort of saving it from financial ruin. Mm. But it's also that basically that's just a cover for saying, you know, always one the cover for the other. Well, I don't who know. knows it's, with as Charles. you say, it's a, it, yeah. You just can't tell. He's just so slippery. And then she says, I'm not interested. And he says, I dare say, given the chance, I could reawaken that interest. Ew! Uh, yeah! And then he creepily <laughs> runs his fingernail down her back. Yeah, that's not nice, oh, is it's it? it's disgusting, just, isn't no. it? No. He can be quite seductive, Charles, but in that scene, not so much. And he tells her, rather luridly, you're not cut out for celibacy any more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nauseating. And then he leaves her his card, like the fucking milk train man. <laughs> <laughs> and goes, and then she kind of half-heartedly tears it up. Mm. But, you know, she's probably in the next scene going to be sticking it so back together again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She only tears it into quarters, so, you know. <laughs> and it's a very curlicued Charles Freer. The, right, the font on the card is quite something. It's very dandy. There's a quick tension breaker here in which uh, Kate, who's still having a non-date, as we say with mm. Jack, offers him cinnamon punch. <laughs> and quite understandably, he tells her to get fucked. <laughs> non-alcoholic cinnamon mm. punch yeah um, and he's standing there in his doorway swaying with a glass of whiskey <laughs> yeah. clearly the, the wager is over and he's getting shit faced <laughs> because you know yes. whenever Jack gets bad news he gets shitted that's just what he does <laughs> Lynn meanwhile is picking up her 1980s telephone and phoning Joe Penhaligon the famous all-female skipper <laughs> all of Joe is female and so will her crew be and presumably the boat will be female too because boats are she, aren't they? Yes. So, yeah. And she phones her and arranges to meet her, which is very exciting because this might be her big chance. I'm so st- I'm so stoked for her. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. really happy for her too because yeah. she was gutted and that guy treated her really badly. The goblin and, bastard. Oh, and, then, and then the way he spoke to her in the yacht club, like, what it's a, a shit box. Man. So then we reach the final scene. Uh, 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 (laughs) Okay, you're not allowed to do any more of those noises. You've you've used up your supply. Okay, (laughs) now Tom obviously knocks on Avril's door. He wants to tell her sensibly about the. Thank you for the foley there. It was very good. He 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 knocks on Avril's door. (laughs) And she opens the door, but she does that thing that people do in TV do which you never do in real life where you open the door and immediately turn your back and walk away leaving the person who's just been let in there's an awful to lot wonder of kind of why like, you haven't said hello <laughs> there's an awful lot of just people uh, facing the wall people like in the doorways. end of fucking Blair Witch or yes something. no that's quite quite a theatrical thing that I think was big in 80s dramas women do it a lot they kind of turn their backs on men yes. to hide the fact that they're emotional in some way or mm. their faces are depicting emotion um, it happens a lot so Tom comes in, sees very quickly that Avril is in tears, is distraught, and she kind of breaks down and says, well, that man was here. And he immediately enfolds her in his and strong arms. Beautiful arm. It's like a Mills and Boone cover at this point because he's just the strong older man and she's oh, the yes. snivelling, younger, pathetic, but rather she lies, she fanciful lies woman. her head on his shoulder. Yes. 
and you think if it doesn't happen now, I know. And he no, he holds her close and, and says it's all right, it's all right. And you're and and at that point, I'm thinking, oh, just get on just with it, just get Snogger. on with it. You've got Snogger. the stopwatch out. Just do it, do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. And then he does. And then he does. There's, well, there's a moment, isn't there? There's quite a long moment where they're just looking at each other. And you're like. This is brilliant. This is actually probably the best bit of the it's whole actually, episode. It's actually, I mean, it's actually really naturally done. Oh, yeah. It's, it's quite a good bit of acting. Actually. Yeah, no, thank you, C. Yeah. It's brill. So the two of them inevitably do that. This is the archers. You kiss the back of your hand. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's really horrible, thanks. They kiss, then they pull apart and she says something like, don't go, not yet. And you wonder what on earth <laughs> yeah. happens after that because then we cut away to the titles. It's like, does that mean stay and shag me? Does that mean just stay and give me another sink plunger, then go? Or like, <laughs> what does it mean? So we don't know what's happened, but we know something is definitely sexy times. Sexy time. We cut then to surprisingly jaunty run-out music. Now, I didn't realise. It's called Barracuda. It's the end theme. Now, I have to discuss this. What I'm seeing on the TV... Is it the mermaid's tit? Yes! Right. Yeah, yes! But the thing about that, but first of all, what I could make out was the outline of a ship's figurehead, but it looked like a man. It looked like Abraham Lincoln. Well, she's a very butch mermaid. It, it's, it's basically a mermaid with the face of Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> with a very pronounced breast ah. and a very distinct nipple. Yes, no, she. it's, it's extremely... And actually, it was only used in season one. Right. Because in season two, I think they decided... Were there complaints? Was, I mean, I, with Mary Whitehouse and Viewers Listeners Association, and what? According to a couple of the actors who do a commentary on the DVD, that yes, apparently it was considered perhaps a little too fruity for a Sunday early evening Well, yeah, I'd, I'd say. And they replaced it with something else after the first series so yeah just for series I couldn't believe what I was looking at Julia it's just a tit I was scandalised actually (laughs) um some of the names here in the credits were, were, were extraordinary. For instance, assistant floor manager Simon Sellen Jones. Oh, right. Right, who'd go on to direct episodes of Our Friends in the North. Oh, you've done your research. And, and like Treme oh. and Broadwalk Empire. Oh, seriously? Seriously, Oh, that's right? cool. The director, Sarah Hellings, mm. went on to direct things like Boone and Soldier, Soldier and Lovejoy and Midsummer Murders. Oh, Lovejoy. So, overall, Howard's Way, be honest, better than you remember, right? Yeah, it really was, actually, yeah. I mean, you say remembered, but I, mean, I never saw it in the first place. Well, no, so I mean, so it's, better, it's, it's than better than I expected. Better than your impression Definitely. of what you were about to Definitely. I, as I say, I love those sort of transgressive spikes in the narrative. Yeah. I love the business of Polly. I love the fact that it, it's slightly ambivalent about its own sort of Thatcherite narrative. I think that's incredibly sort of sophisticated for yeah, the time. Yeah, I think so, too. Mm. Now, we have a bit of housekeeping to do because, one, you very kindly agreed to sing your own version of the theme tune, as has now become traditional on Always There, mm-hmm. because podcast but two we had a very exciting moment last week when i was discussing this podcast on twitter and this amazing man called matt bowdler or bowdler sorry matt i don't know how you pronounce your name but he's on twitter as the unfinished and he is a kind of synth sound designer he designs synth patches i don't know what that is but it's a thing apparently he confessed that he'd once done a drum and bass remix of the theme tune wow and I was like, shut up, no, you didn't. He was like, no, no, I really did. I said, is there any chance you can send it to me? And he couldn't find it. So he went into the studio and made a new one. Wow. Uh, which he is rather brilliantly called Howard's Way in My Brain. Um, anyway, um, we're, we're going to play you a short extract from it now. If you want to listen to the full track, and I strongly recommend you do, some of the vocal sampling in there, some of the dialogue from the show is just supreme. Then please go to alwaystherepod.co.uk, which is the website for our podcast, and you can listen to the whole track. It's absolutely superb. Anyway, Howard's Way in My Brain by Matt Bowden. Listen to me, Jack, and listen carefully. 
That's more happy hardcore than it's happy hardcore, drum and yeah, bass, yeah. isn't it? I think I've got my musical genres mixed up. Sorry, it's not my area of expertise. But Matt, thank you for that. That is absolutely splendid. Go to the website and listen. It is just, the whole thing is a work of art. OK, now, so Ali, we come to your version of the theme tune. Um, you must have been aware of the theme tune, even if you weren't aware of the show. I certainly was. It reminds me that a couple of years ago, I was I, I still songwrite, you know, and I, I occasionally sort of hum tunes into, mm. my, into my phone. A couple of years ago, I was I was cycling home, and this, and this beautiful, beguiling tune started playing through my head, and I thought, I must write that down. And I went home, and I immediately, you know, essayed it down. And, uh, and then I realised, it's fucking Howard's way. <laughs> it's that's how good the tune is. I mean, if we agree that there are probably a finite number of melodies... Oh, I think so, yeah. You know, if melodies are like ships, some of those ships are going to bump aft occasionally. <laughs> now, with this in mind, I'm going to do your tailored Howard's Way, my bespoke Howard's Way. They're not going to be my lyrics. They're going oh. to be someone else's lyrics. So I now wait with great anticipation your version of the theme tune. If you enjoy the podcast, please come and find us. We're on Twitter at alwaystherepod, or you can come to the website alwaystherepod.co.uk. Come and say hello. We'd love to hear from you. But for now, Ali Catterall, thank you for being always there. <laughs> thank you. I enjoyed it tremendously. Please come and see.